Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing? I hope you all said fine. I see there's some people in the chat room from Scotland. And thank you guys. I know it's really late. Thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. And our guest today, all right, as soon as she comes on, I want everybody in the chat room to wish her a happy birthday because it is her birthday. She's on late with us, but tomorrow, well, technically, it'll be tomorrow morning in a few, in a few hours for her. She's going to be celebrating her birthday. So it's already like her birthday. Okay. Anyway, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team, based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, and we also have branches in well, Washington, Oregon, Nevada, and Hawaii. So we're a busy team. All right. You know, if you're watching from Facebook tonight, please be sure to hit that follow button, because I am looking for followers, and uh, we, have, we do a lot of different shows. Uh, you know, um, this morning, I taped a show, and it was on fentanyl. Because I'm a journalist and a photojournalist, I like to change it up. So I might do a show on ghosts one night. I might do a show on UFOs. I might do a show on fentanyl. I might do a show on government stuff. Who knows? But uh, I like to change it up. So anyway, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm really excited about tonight. I heard this young, I heard this young lady on another show. Very impressive. And uh, it's a thing that fascinates me too. In fact, starting Sunday, since we're on the subject of this, Starting Sunday, our book that we're going to be reading every Sunday is going to be about the Salem Witch Trials and all that. So we're going to be reading about that in detail, and uh, Rebecca F. Pittman wrote this book. And so, like I said, start, starting Sunday, we're going to have four or five weeks of that to lead us into the holidays. All right? So we're looking forward to that. But tonight, I've got a real witch coming on. The White Witch of Scotland. Linda Dean is with us tonight. And... Uh, no, she doesn't look like Endora or anybody like that. Real nice lady. And um, she's got some stories to tell. We're going to talk about witches and, and how, they, how they've been, you know, persecuted over the years and things like that. And plus she gives tours, ghost, you know, um, haunted tours and stuff in the area where she lives in Elgin, Scotland. And so we're going to talk about that because there's some really interesting places that she takes um, the people on, on the tours. Okay, so I'm really excited about tonight. So without further ado, let's get her on. Here we go. Hiya. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. I just had some chocolate that a that a witch made me. With <laughs> dragon's blood in it. Oh. So I'm feeling good. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I've only got the resin here, and I don't think that would taste very good. <laughs> but I'm looking at the ingredients she sent me, and I'm like, dragon's blood. Whoa! You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's not automatically a taste you would think of as being good, because yeah. I know the, the actual resin, when you burn it as an incense, it literally does smell like fire and brimstone and blood, so it's not a flavor I would have thought works, but... <laughs> Folk put I chili in their chocolate, so I guess takes all kinds. 
It tastes good and I feel good. If I start shooting <laughs> fire out of my mouth or something, we'll know why. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so what's your birthday today? Or yeah, essentially now it's yeah. your birthday. Yeah, it is. Well, here it is now. Right. Because you were in yesterday for me. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's weird getting used to the time difference thing when I'm speaking to folk. <laughs> I have that trouble all the time. A lot of my interviews, I do like people that are in the UK. I'm always doing them at like nine o'clock in the morning or noon, yeah. you know, because it's eight o'clock or you guys are at. See, see, guys, now for the guy, my regular listeners, let's not get confused, okay? This is the first time I've done this where we've gone to the UK. Ah. So she's in the future. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, Jen. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So, so where me, do we want to start? Well, tell me about you. I want to learn about you. You're a white witch. What is okay. a white witch? How did, you, how, did you, how did you become one? Well, witch was first thrown at me as an insult when I was six. Nowadays, I take it as a compliment. I've been a freaky person who can see things other people can't from birth, basically, and been scaring the hell out of people since I could talk by telling them stuff that I shouldn't know and stuff like that. And when I, was a, when I was six years old, people started noticing some of the stuff I was saying was coming true and stuff. And they're like, yeah, you're a witch. And then it became the insult. Mm -hmm. All through school, it became the insult. And then from about 15 years old, I started reading up on this stuff. Basically, every house we ever lived in was haunted. Okay. And I, I started reading up on it as a way of dealing with what was going on in the house. So pretty much because we'd already ha we'd had the minister come out to bless the house. He was a friend of the family. Never made a blind bit of difference. So I started learning what I should be doing. Mm -hmm. So and it's basically that's where all the witchy kind of stuff starts with me is learning how to get our uh, household spooks to behave or get lost. <laughs> and later on, branching into a bit, bit of amateur herbalism, I have to stress, not trained. It's all learned trial and error with me. That's awesome. And it's like stuff, if I think it's going to work, I'll try it on me for three months. If I have no reaction, I'll find a volunteer friend to try it for three months. And then it's like, right, okay, that recipe's staying in the book because there's been no reaction, you know, and stuff like that. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it. Yeah. I mean, uh, I have a psoriasis and I was getting nowhere with the stuff you get from your doctor and the chemist and all the rest of it. So I made my own cream and I, so I sold some to a lassie and I did say to her, look, I haven't gone through the proper licensing testing things and everything because I can't afford it. But if you want to take a chance on it, by all means. She had better results with that than she'd had with any of the creams she'd had from her dermatologist for the last 25 years. That's and every, everything that's in it, except for the beeswax, grows in my garden. <laughs> you know, and I I still get better results with that for myself than I do with anything the doctor's ever given me. So the that, old ways do work. <laughs> my grandmother was an herbalist as well. She yeah. was considered a culandera. 
because she did help people. That's what my Portuguese clients call me. Yep. <laughs> so I, I understand completely about the herbs. In fact, I still have mint growing. I always wondered what the mint was for. I knew it was for like colds and stuff, but I also now realize she had mint growing around the perimeter of my, the base of my house. And I took yeah. it all out like an idiot. And then I realized <laughs> when the rats came in one season, <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I was there for to keep them out, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, stuff like that. I remember her picking stuff in the backyard and bringing it in, you know, and, and cooking and doing whatever with it. It was it, it was very interesting going, growing up around her. Yeah. Now let's something. Let's clarify right now. When people think of witches, it's Halloween, right? Mm -hmm. So what do we think? We think they're out casting spells and turning people into toads and all this <laughs> other stuff. But witches don't do that, right? No, 99% of us, because there's always the exception to prove the rule, 99% uh -huh. of us, if we are doing any kind of spell work, it tends to be protection charms, good luck charms, things like that to help people. A lot of us still, as well, me, me in particular, haven't lost the idea of the wise woman of the village that helps folk. And that's, that's the, the kind of side that I try to stick to with the witchy stuff. Uh -huh. So, so now that we're talking about the wise women of the village, let's talk about them back in the old, the old, the olden days when, when they were the wise women of the village, they would get in trouble for doing it. Yeah, back in the sixteen hundreds, of course. Um, well, we start we start with the Bible being rewritten uh -huh. by King James, of course, Mary Queen of Scots' son. Um. Anybody who's been on my tours knows I sometimes call him the idiot son, but he's not really an idiot. He's a child of circumstance. His mum is on the run from the Queen of England, who's his auntie, before he's even born. His early childhood is spent running all over England and Scotland trying to escape Queen Elizabeth I because she's trying to kill Mary, they're cousins, basically, rather than sisters, they're cousins. And each one's accusing the other of witchcraft. Each one's trying to get the other one killed or hunted down or put in prison. And this little kid is being dragged around in all this. I mean, if he was a, if it was happening now, the poor kid would be put into some kind of institution with PTSD. You know, so of course he grew up with a twisted idea on witchcraft. Of course he rewrote the Bible. Um, the first edition that ever, ever came out in English rather than Latin or Hebrew or anything else. And unfortunately he inserted that dreaded line, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Then later on he comes up with the Malleus Maleficarum, how to hunt, torture, question and kill a witch mm -hmm. and then the whole world catches fire with this hysteria mm -hmm. he was actually a judge on several witch trials himself over here so it start i think the first one i can think of at the moment is when his bride was being brought across the sea there was a bad storm whipped up and they nearly wrecked the boat but they survived but then Somebody told him that three witches had conjured the storm, so those three witches were held to trial and executed. And then basically all of mainland Europe, some sections of the US and all of the UK was completely consumed by this hysteria. 
lot of uh, I was to say a lot of witches, a lot of women, <laughs> a lot of women um, were harmed. I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. You mentioned when I heard you in the other interview, what got my attention was that you mentioned that because you do walking tours in your area, and you mentioned a tree, some kind of witch. Oh, tree. yeah, that's down in England, that one. <laughs> but yeah. But what got my attention about that is that I had interviewed a gentleman the week before who, uh, and this was in, in uh, Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky, I think. I'm not positive. And he mentioned a court that had a similar tree. Cool. <laughs> I went, wow, same tree. Yeah. You know, used for the same thing. Yeah. I just, find, I just find the connections, like you say, between, you know, persecuting the, the, the witches in, in Europe and then the stuff in the United States, the connections are real tight. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's like over here, it's kind of weird to describe it. But when I'm researching my local history here, mm -hmm. I come to a dead end a lot of the time because Elgin, where I live, where we've had written records, they used to be kept at the cathedral in Elgin. Well, the cathedral's burned down three times. Then in the 20th century, the records were kept in a building that's called Grant Lodge. That burned down in 2006. So a lot of the time I'm coming up against dead ends on my historical research and I'm having to resort to using Google Books. And where am I finding the books on Elgin and Murray? In the New York State Library or the Washington Library. See? So somebody went over there in the mid-1800s with an entire ship full of books on my area. And the yeah. only thing I can think of that presumably one of them uh, went on to live in what is now Elgin in Texas. Right. There's an Elgin in Ontario. And there's another one which escapes me at the moment. But all the rest of them are Elgins. Right, but all the ones with a hard G like we have, have people from this area in their founding fathers of their town. And I think they're the guys that must have taken all the books. <laughs> yeah, but they're also the guys that are the women that were probably being persecuted over in your area. And then they, then they bailed over on the boats to go, you know, to get away from it. And so they took all that stuff with them so they'd have a record. With, with some of them, yeah, that's coming into the Highland Clearances. Yeah, yeah. Um, Unfortunately, the Highland Clearances is a bit of a misnomer because most of the folk that left for Ireland and America mm -hmm. were Central Belt and Borders area and the Lowlands. Up here, we have mass... Well, it's massive to us. It's nothing compared to the size of your land mass, but you know what I mean? We have huge expanses where you will not see any human being for five hours driving. So in this area, instead of going to Ireland or America, we just went wild, disappeared into the moors. So if you ever visit Scotland, you'll be driving through these expanses where there's nothing but trees and sheep and the odd coo. And every so often you'll find the remains of this tiny little house. Wow. So and that's because we all just went wild. It's like we haven't got the money to be going across the water. So we just went into the middle of nowhere and set up there to escape the after the parliamentarians took over the idea of the um yeah locally <laughs> locally the highland clearances basically started with a factor on a local estate 
And what his boss did is he went round, asked all his tenants, have you got a field that's useless? I'll take the field back off you, give you a reduction in your rent. Mm -hmm. And then everybody was happy and he got the sheep in absolutely fine. Then one of his boss's friends told the Duke of Sutherland, which is where it all goes wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's when it hits Parliament and it becomes entirely legal to burn your tenants out of their house so you can put sheep there instead. And that's when half of Scotland basically left and moved to Ireland and America. So yeah, very interesting. And when we talk about witches and we talk about the persecution on witches, is it because people were were afraid of the fact you know, of them working with they were able to heal and you know work with herbs and everything, or was it things where people just didn't like somebody and they decided to you know call them a witch just to get even? A bit of both. If you had a good producing farm or a good herd of cows or whatever, another farmer next door would get jealous and he'd probably accuse you or your other half of witchcraft. And there'd be trumped up stupid charges that nowadays you'd just get laughed out of court. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of one of the silliest ones I came across was a guy slagged off his neighbor and then he got stung by a bee and ended up with a, well, over here, <laughs> my family calls it deli belly when you're doing the exorcist impression at both ends. <laughs> and he said that bee had had to be poisoned and it poisoned him. So therefore that bee had to be the neighbor that he insulted the other day. Wow. <laughs> you know, wow. so some, some of it's just jealousy because you've got better than they have. Mm -hmm. um, with the poorer working class folk, there was a genuine belief in amongst the working class folk that it's a possibility, mm -hmm. you know, because, I mean, back in the days of the Catholic Church, because everything before 1560 in Scotland is the Catholic Church. There's nothing else, only the Catholics. And when they had the power, you have good witches and bad witches, and when the minister or the pastor's getting ready to set up for Sunday service, he'll put a glass of milk and a bowl of porridge on the back step of the church so that the service doesn't get interrupted by the witches or the fairies or the brownies. <laughs> so it's just when the Protestants came in, that was it. A witch is a witch. They're all bad. Right, right, right. So whereas nowadays we tend to think that the Protestants are more lenient and the Catholics are harsh, but it was the other way around for the witch trials. Um. And then when you think, like, with, with the witch trials and the stuff that they put the women through, or even the men, for, the, for that matter, the testing, you know, the, the big boulders on the chest, you know, to see how long they yeah. can withstand. I mean, nobody can withstand that stuff. Yeah, that's it. I mean, in Elgin, they were um, particularly brutal. I don't know, uh, because of the time that this is going out at your end, if this may not be appropriate for the gory bits. But basically, in Elgin, you were dragged behind a horse and cart from your house to the gates of the cathedral, depending how long and how far that was. It would depend on the state of you when you get there. Then they trial you by water. Now, when we threw you in the pond here in Elgin, it wasn't a fancy ducking stool or any of that. Mm -hmm. They tie your right thumb to your left big toe and vice versa. And then they throw you in the water. If you drown, oh, bless, you're innocent. At least you get to go to heaven. If you float, you're going to get worse. Mm -hmm. Then they take you back to the gates of the cathedral and 
you'll be asked again, guilty or not guilty. You're stripped. The entire town gets to gawk at your naked body. And if you're still sticking with not guilty, they put a noose around your neck with the knot pushing on your esophagus. And we're talking a knot the size of your fist, pretty much. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, they pull you up, just like you're in ballet class on point. So you're dancing on tippy toes, naked, soaking, humiliated, trying to save your own life. And then just when you think you've almost got the balance so that you're not going to get killed in the next 30 seconds, they hoist the rope and pull you straight up from the floor. So you're about six feet in the air, which is a big surprise. But because of the positioning of the knot, it's not going to break your neck for you. So they leave you up there for a bit and they'll ask you again while you're up there, guilty or not guilty? Okay, not guilty again. We take them down again, let them go on tippy toes again. And basically they do like any showman does in the wrestling or the boxing now. The one in charge of the trial is pacing up and down in front of the trial, in front of the crowd, noising them up to get them all worked up. And then they produce a little dagger and I do mean little. This isn't an original, but it's about the same size. So you have this little dagger. It's literally about the size of your thumb. That soft bit between your collarbones. You go in there and all the way down the full length of your torso. And I do mean all the way down. Now, this is the really gory bit. If nothing hits the ground with the help of gravity, mm -hmm. they put their hand inside wow. and walk backwards until something hits the floor. You're still alive. Jeez. Once there's something hits the floor, they hoist you back up to the six feet in the air and they leave you like that to die. If you're fit and healthy, you'll bleed to death in six minutes. If you're diabetic or have another condition or it's January and it's minus 10, uh -huh. your blood's going to clot and it will take a full 17 minutes for that not to slowly suffocate you. Wow. It's horrendous. And in Elgin, we did that to 40 people in my town alone. During the witch hysteria through Scotland, there was over 4,000 people murdered by the church. Wow. 4,000. And we didn't have a big population in the 1600s. We don't have a big population now. Mm -hmm. But throughout the whole of Scotland, more than 4,000 people were murdered by the church through the witch hysteria. Wow. wow and. Wow. There's various different things. There's another town along the road from here where you are made to drag a barrel up the top of the highest hill. They put you in the barrel. Then they get nine-inch nails. Told you this was nasty. <laughs> My guys can take <laughs> Nine-inch nails hammered to the point where they're flat on the outside of the barrel and you're pretty much shish kebab. Then they paint the barrel with pitch, which is basically boiled tree sap, and it's as flammable as diesel fuel. Mm -hmm. Set fire to the barrel and then kick the barrel down the hill. And wherever the barrel stops, they get a massive stone, drop it on top of your remains and the remains of the barrel, mm -hmm. 
and that stone is to stay there forevermore so your spirit can't come and torture the ones who killed you. Yeah. So what lovely were, folk. Yes, lovely, <laughs> lovely folk. What were, it's not funny. And what would happen if somebody you know couldn't hell it and said, Yes, I am a witch? If you turn around and said you were guilty, you would only be subject to even more torture. So whichever way you go, you're going to wind up dead. The most of the time, even though they didn't believe in the one upstairs that I called the narcoleptic carpenter, <laughs> they still believed in a good place and a bad place. And they, they thought if they had said they were guilty of some of these horrible things, they'd be condemned to the bad place. So, and because they knew they hadn't and they wanted to go to the good place, they just stuck with not guilty no matter what they did to them. And the ones that did plead guilty had even worse things done. Like there's a, there's a scold's bridal, which is basically, you know, like the man in the iron mask. Right. But put a, a mechanism on the front where they pull your tongue out and pierce your tongue and you have to walk around with this mask on for up to three weeks with your tongue hanging out. You can't shut your mouth. You can't eat or drink properly. And until you collapse, you're kept in that mask. Wow. So, yeah. Lovely people, the church, aren't they? <laughs> it's a good job people wisened up now. <laughs> it makes you wonder who the hell designs this stuff, you know? These torches. Yeah. I mean, I've been through Tussauds um, in England, London, and I've seen, you know, like when you go down to the dungeon area down there and they're showing you the torture devices. Yeah. Boggles the mind who, who designs this stuff. It's, it's like when, when you see a fully equipped torture chamber, you can totally tell it was all thought up by guys. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there's one in particular, I forget the name of it, but basically they sit the lady astride a triangular shaped mechanism. And they just keep adding more and more weight on top of you until eventually you yeah. split. Yeah. And then you have the pressing to try and get a confession off you where they're loading all the rocks on top of you. Which but by the time it gets to the point where it's too sore and you're going to admit to anything, you can't speak anyway because your ribs are, ribs are crushed. Right. Right. <laughs> you know. Left, yeah. And there's an awful lot of these tortures that involve the female getting naked. So, yeah. yeah, They're saddest. Mm -hmm. They're saddest. So, yeah. um, how many years did this go on? Um, through Scotland, we had 70 years of the witch hysteria. There was like three main waves of it. And by the time you get into 1680s, 1690s, the public are sickened by it and they actually asked the church to stop because the public were sickened by how many people had been killed and the way they did it. So I think the last witch trial in this area was 1692 and it was a man mm -hmm. and his sentence was basically a case of, look, turn up to church wearing a sack, barefoot, covered in dirt and gutters, and crawl through the church on your hands and knees and apologize to every parishioner on the way. That was the last one. That was the last punishment we had. But the last lady who was killed 
was Maggie McPherson, and she's 16, 70-something. And she was 84 years old. 84 in 1670. She should have been hailed as a goddess. Because yeah. most folk were dead by the time they were 40 in that time. Absolutely. So, But she was the last one to be executed. And, and the day of her execution, while they were waiting for her to slowly strangle to death at the end of that rope, they actually pulled out a man from the crowd who had stood up to defend her to say that she was a nice lady living out her widowhood in the in the forest, which is where she lived. I actually found the remains of her house two years ago, which is really cool. Um, and he stood up to tell them that she'd given them medicine when they were sick as kids. She'd even given them medicine for the cows. And they sh she showed them how to save his father's life when his father collapsed. Basically, she showed them CPR, right? Right. This guy that stood up to say all about this was the local minister. Wow. Well, during the 16, 17 minutes it took Maggie to die, they hauled him out the, out the audience and hung him as well. Execution style with the knot at the back of the neck. It doesn't matter who you are. If you stood up to defend a witch, even if you're an officer of the church, mm -hmm. you're going to be executed as well because you're obviously a witch if you're going to defend one. So, horrible. It is horrible. So, obviously, nowadays, that attitude doesn't exist anymore. No, you'll, you'll still find a similar distaste and under-their-breath hatred in some areas, in the wee, faraway places, in the middle of nowhere. But for the most part, if the population's more than 3,000, you're good. <laughs> Here's my question. I mean, are you in a coven or is it just you, you know, practicing? It's just me. Um, I was invited to join a couple of covens over the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I I have a day job and run three businesses. I ain't got time for sabbats and ceremonies and all that stuff. I'm very much a pick and mix chick. Like, if I'm doing a house clearance, if I'm doing my exorcist bit, I will use little bits of druidic stuff, shamanic, Buddhist, and of course the Roman Catholic Church. A little bit of anything and everything. My mean my day job is in the Roman Catholic Church. <laughs> you know. But I mean, I've I've always just been solo. I've never been into ceremonies, rituals, things like that. If I'm doing a ritual, it's going to take me ten minutes flat. That's it. <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm too much of a get it done now kind of person. I don't have the patience for that kind of thing. And I think as well because I'm very much pick and mix. Mm -hmm. Some of the witchified people get offended at me using other religions and all, well, 80% of the Christians are either scared of me or they tolerate me just in case I do something. <laughs> I, I don't do that stuff. You know, I mean, I had a woman offered me one, one time, this woman offered me £2,000 to curse her husband. So that's probably about five grand for you guys to do one curse on her husband. And I told her no. And now, 
some of the churchgoers that don't know me as a person, they just know, oh, that's the witchy wifey. <laughs> some of them think I probably do that. Right. But I can tell you now in front of everybody that's listening, one, well, I have two really good mates who are Mormon missionaries. Uh -huh. I'm friends with the local Catholic bishop. <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm friends with all comers, you know. I mean, relig religion is religion. You know, it's like that whole you do you. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. But I, I'm very much a fan of that meme that you see on the social media. Religion is a fantastic thing. It's a really good thing to be proud of, a really good thing to help you get your head straight, but you don't go around waving it in other people's faces and trying to convert them. Right. You right. know, so because I've been a volunteer helper and volunteer chaperone for right. various churches in various different denominations, because, you know, some of them have rules where you can't have this amount of men with this amount of women and, I'm a volunteer chaperone, you know, so religion, don't, you know, if I like you as a person, it, I don't care what book you read on a Sunday morning or a Saturday morning for that fact, you know. <laughs> I was just thinking, even if, even with my ghost hunting team, I have people that, that practice shamanism. I have people that are Catholics and stuff, but I think it helps. It helps. Like if you go into a haunted location, somebody's house, and you got to figure out what you're dealing with exactly because not every blessing and not not every cleansing is going to fit every situation. Yeah, that's precisely it. I mean, I've even done some houses where I've reverted to some of the old Vaudon stuff, mm -hmm. which of course goes by a different name now with the same letter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but scares an awful lot of people. Right. But, you know, I mean, you, you've got to assess what you're dealing with mm -hmm. and that's precisely why I do the pick and mix approach when I'm doing house clearances and things like that Absolutely. because it it might be the grumpy old man who used to live there it might be something else it might be somebody from a different country or whatever you know mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. you just gotta adapt to what's there and what you need to do yeah I mean that's the thing like like here if we walk into a situation where it's a native it's, it's Native American oriented we're certainly not going to be doing Catholic prayers. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So we have to adapt and call in somebody on, on the staff that, that's Native American to help out with do that do that stuff. So yeah. I think I think you being, you know, as versatile as you are, it helps a lot. Yeah, definitely. And it, it's it's one of them odd little things that runs in the family. I mean, my great grandfather, he's uh, from Sri Lanka. Uh he was dead a long time before my mom and dad even met. So I've never met him while he had a pulse. Mm -hmm. I have met him since. But inside the house, he was Hindi. Okay. Outside the house, he was Catholic. There because when he was growing up in Sri Lanka, that's at the end of the 1800s when the Christians are going over and asking them, are you Christian? And if you're not, you're beheaded. Okay. And that's what he grew up around. So he was like, yes, yes, I'm a Catholic. I'm a Catholic. And he could recite it all off. But inside the house, he was Hindi. <laughs> <laughs> that makes so much, I mean, it doesn't make so much sense. That's it. Um, When, when you tell somebody, well, I don't know, do, do, do people come up and ask you if you're a witch or, or, or are you more willing to say, Hey, this is what I do in my spare time. 
there's I, I live beside two schools and between the two schools you're talking like four-year-old to 17-year-old and you get varying reactions if I'm going to the shop and the kids are en route to and from school there's that witchy wifey she's scary and then there's that she kills ghosts <laughs> <laughs> You know, and things like that from the kids, but from the grown-ups, the first thing you always get is from always from the uninitiated. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Yeah. Okay. There's no such thing. Do you do black magic? There's no such thing. It's all about your intent. If your intent is negative, then yes, it's going to be classed as black magic. Uh -huh. If your intent is positive, it's going to be white magic if you have to use those pigeonholes and those labels. But all it is is this is my intention. This is what we want to do. Here's some nice herbs. Here's a candle. Done. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like I don't shrink when I get rained on. I can have a bath. I can go swimming. I'm no green underneath the makeup. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But there's so many folks like they'll start and they get halfway through the conversation. You see them going, uh, uh. Uh, and it's like, no, it's absolutely fine. I don't mind. Who knows? Most people know me as White Witch. Uh, I've got I've got some American friends that they can never remember my actual name. So it's just like, hey, White, how you doing? <laughs> you know. Funny. So either or is good. <laughs> That's funny. And let me ask you this: Do you um do you have a book that you use for your spells, or is just everything memorized? I have five books okay. with different recipes for different people because when I, I do like um, essential oil blends to help people with their anxiety and various situations they're going to come across in life. Mm -hmm. And because it's all tailored to each specific person, mm -hmm. I have five books with... This is the oil for such and such for their whatever the problem is. Mm -hmm. And then you have the recipes for them. The stuff I do for myself, it's all up here. So so my um, my midgy repellent, my bug repellent is all up here. In fact, my bug repellent is not patented because it's a medieval song. That's cool. That uh, was redone by... Um, Simon and Garfunkel, the um, Scarborough Fair song. Oh, that's that's cool. It's a bug repellent recipe: parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. That is really cool. If you if you've already slaughtered your animals before market and then have to transfer them, uh -huh. you decorate the cart with parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme, and it keeps the bugs off it till you get to market. Good to know. Next it's a handy one for camping as well because you can pick them all up in the hair bile in the supermarket, you know. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's really cool. Next time I slaughter my animals, I'll remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'll throw them in my trunk with some parsley, you know. Yeah. Okay. That's really, no, seriously, but that is really cool. It's interesting how well the old ways work now. Oh, yeah. You know, just like I know a guy on uh, TikTok who 
has all these ways if you have cockroaches in in your house here's how you do it grab some peanut butter and add this in there and then put in a cap and put wherever the cockroaches are and they'll you know it'll wipe them out yeah. and it's interesting to think you know here in, in this society how we're all into using chemicals to kill things and take care of stuff yet if you go with the old stuff it works just as well and it's yeah. simple, simple to use that that's it i mean it's it's like even even some of the medicines i mean now i'm not talking like your life-saving medicines right. like your pain relief and things like that and insulin and such but the bog standard i've got a groggy throat i'm gonna buy some cough medicine mm -hmm. you look on the back of it 99 percent of the time glycerin citric acid water and sugar syrup Mm -hmm. So basically, it's orange juice, honey, and a teaspoon of glycerin. Yeah. You, you put that in a cup, you heat it up, there's your homemade medicine, and it's probably cheaper than what you would have bought out the pharmacy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And it, it will help stave it off if it's just a bog-standard sore throat. You know, it will help stave it off. But, right. I mean, obviously, with any kind of sore throat or anything like that, if you're five days into symptoms, go see either your local pharmacist or your doctor because mm -hmm. you, you just need to get things checked. If you're five days with symptoms, get them checked, no matter how embarrassing you think it is. Get them checked with the pharmacist if you can't see your doctor. So that's one of the things that's like kind of ingrained in my head with doing the herbalist stuff. It's like, yeah, only use this for five days, then see your doctor. <laughs> I've always one of these kids that had allergies and had rashes all the time on my back. I and mean, I remember my mom and grandmother making things to put yeah. on my back to coat it with, you know, to, so the itching would stop and it would, the inflammation would go down and all that. Mm -hmm. That's remember? it. There's there's so many different ones you can use. Um, the ones the ones for pain relief are easier to remember because anything that when you eat it goes, <gasps> your chilies and such like yeah. will help with pain, but you have to do a patch test on a different bit of skin first. Right. Because you get chili, ground up chili on your skin and you react, you're in a world of pain for two, three weeks. So wow. if you're going to do any herbal remedies, even if it is family recommended, mm -hmm. do a wee patch test somewhere not too sensitive and easy to reach. So if it does react, you can wash it off straight away. So, but just be careful, always check. Absolutely. Now you um, do walking tours as well yeah. of your area, correct? Yeah, that's right. Those? Sorry? Can you tell me about those? Um, we do, I do different routes for different topics, really. I mean, the our high street in our town center was the town cemetery for 700 years. So <laughs> the high street is the graveyard. It's the oldest graveyard in town. None of the stones are still there. Well, some of them still are, but they're in different places for different purposes now. Um, so there's that one that just does the high street. Then the witches tour, we start on the high street and then we follow the path that you would have followed for your trial. So from the high street to the cathedral, to where the big pond used to be that we used to throw you in to see if you'd float. Then we have the Anderson tour. Now the Anderson tour is um, a gentleman whose mom was homeless when he was a baby. 
and him and his mum lived within the ruins of Elgin Cathedral for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And later on, he grew up. By the time he's 60, he's a major general and he's absolutely minted money-wise. And it's a huge success story for him. And we go to the cathedral from the high street and then we go to one of the buildings that he left money for to be built so that other people from Elgin didn't have to have the same hard life he and his mum had. Then we have the cathedral itself. There's both exterior and interior. The interior one can only ever be done at daytime, of course, mm -hmm. because there are opening hours. And it's more expensive because there's the admission fee for the cathedral as well. Um, round the outside, you get exactly the same stories. You just don't get to get close up and have a proper look at the, the gravestones or the Gothic carvings and things like that. And then we have the Royal Tour. The Royal Tour is the west end of town. We start up beside the hospital and we pass by the ancient well, which is Mary's Well. It's been a water source for the cathedral and the other churches in town from something like 700 AD. And it's where they used to collect the water that they used as holy water. It's still officially listed as a holy well. Then we get to the hill nearby, which has the ruins of a castle on top. That castle was destroyed in the 1300s, but that castle is only there because of Macbeth. Forget mm -hmm. everything you've ever heard about Macbeth from Shakespeare. Shakespeare was writing a play for the English king, so of course he has to portray the Scottish king as some wild, crazy psychopath dude. Macbeth was our last king in this area because back in the 13, well, back in the 10 hundreds for Macbeth, uh -huh. we thought the Scottish king was as useless as the English king. So we had the king for our county. So we had the king of money and the last one was Macbeth. Now Macbeth had a claim to the throne of Scotland both biologically through his family line and also through the old Celtic way of they watch people growing up and pick who they think would be good kings and they have a list and it's a case of who's in the better state when the king job becomes available gets the job. So he had claimed to the, the throne of Scotland through both those methods, but he didn't get it. Then King Duncan was basically mouthing off about this, you know, upstart dude. He can't even call himself a king, blah, blah, blah. And he challenged Macbeth. So locally, we had a lock here, which was open to the sea. I mean, Elgin now is five miles from the high tide mark, but we were an international port up until the late 16, early 1700s when the lock filled in. And the king... King Duncan, being, being the, the royalty of Scotland, decided to show off and arrive in a big flotilla of fancy ships. Well, Macbeth only lived three miles away from the harbour that these ships were coming in. So him and his boys went up on horseback. So by the time this flotilla of ships is coming in to dock, they had all stood there going, come on then. Set one foot off your body, wee boaty, and we'll see what happens. 
So Macbeth side one, and that meant that Macbeth went from being the King of Murray to becoming the King of Scotland. And that's when my little county decided to join the rest of the country. <laughs> that's cool. What a cool so, story. Yeah. That's really cool. Macbeth was a really good king. Shakespeare completely did a number on him. <laughs> um, let's talk about some of the um, fairy folk. The fairy folk. Well, that's that's a funny wee one. I kind of tell folk I don't believe, but if I'm harvesting from a plant, be it the leaves, the berries, the flowers, whatever, if there's five... You only take two and leave three. Mm -hmm. And I always say please and thank you. And I don't actually know if I'm saying please and thank you to the plant or to the fairy folk that would be looking after it. So, sorry, slipped into too much local looking after it. <laughs> and um, locally, there is a, there's a cemetery. Well, it's not that local. 40 miles away, there's a cemetery here where allegedly Thomas the Rhymer played his flute on the top of the hill where the cemetery now is and the fairies whisked him away. That's Thomas the Rhymer. Now, I have had friends over the years who have managed to dig out from the archives somewhere what tune Thomas the Rhymer was allegedly playing. I have to say allegedly because I don't think anybody actually knows what tune he was playing. But I've been to that cemetery with so many people with flutes, all playing different things, <laughs> all saying that this is what Thomas the Rhymer played. And nothing's happened except one. There was one friend of mine. He's unfortunately up there himself now. He's um, He played a track. Actually, it's a, it's a Gaelic track, but it's put together so that it sounds more pan pipey mm -hmm. it, it you know it's one of these there's been a modern arrangement and it sounds much more like what you would find on some of the native american or the pretend native american cds and he played that track and he didn't notice anything but there was definite movement in the bushes all around us it wasn't windy and it was just as he got to this one little phrase within that track I says to him, I says, just play that wee bit again. And there's motion. You can't see what's moving the plants, but they're moving like there's something invisible moving through them. You know. So I mean, if if there were if it was fairies, if it was spirits, whatever, with the kind of movement that was happening in the bushes around us, it would have to be something that was about this big. So the old meerkats. <laughs> It would have to be something about this big that was moving through the bushes. But there was definite movement there that didn't happen at any other part during the time that we were there. And it was really, really strange because you felt the atmosphere change. It did get happier and lighter, but there was also a kind of a watch what you're doing kind of thing. Because, of course, this one bit I like from the labyrinth, you know, fairies can bite if you annoy them. <laughs> so you know there, there was definitely a something and it didn't to me it didn't feel like spirit so that's the only thing I've had where I would have to say 
potentially it was the wee folk so that's really cool that that is that is super cool now let's talk about spirit a little bit now mm -hmm. with all the history of where you're at there's got to be a lot of people walking around that are no yeah. longer alive and what's it like for somebody like you to, to walk around through all that <laughs> well thinking about it now uh, after sharing experiences with other people and stuff because to me it's always been normal I've seen and heard since I was tiny but it's only as a grown-up now I'm noticing like I'll go to visit somewhere else and it'll be like there's a dude in armor strolling up the high street <laughs> or like um when I've been traveling I used to go down to Derby quite a lot and I was going through York Railway Station and I had a lovely conversation with a gentleman in a top hat. I got lost. York Railway Station, you've got the up and over with the lifts and the stairs, but then there's also tunnels underneath as well, which is actually a shorter walk if you end up having to go from one end to the other. So I went through the underground tunnels and some of the signs had fallen off and I got lost. And I'm like, oh, great. So I just stood, and this is back in the days when you could smoke indoors. That's how long ago it was. And I thought, right, I'll just stand here, have a cigarette, have a little think. And as I'm having a cigarette, this guy in a top hat appears. And he's like, where are you looking for? So I told him which platform I was looking for. And he's like, oh, yes, follow me. And we're chatting away, coming through the tunnel. Never thought anything about it. Right until i came out and the guy turns around and he says oh he says you must be the one we're looking at because of course reserved seats and stuff i mm -hmm. says yeah yeah you looking for me he says yeah we are he says did you get lost i says yes yeah. but the lovely guy in the top hat actually guided me i guess he's one of the tour guides from the high street and he started laughing this is what he says he's not one of the tour guides for the high street but he's been here for about 200 years he's seen at least once a week by people <laughs> But he directed me to the correct platform, so he's lovely. <laughs> you know, but I mean, and sometimes they can be as real as you or I when mm -hmm. I see them. Other times it's like they're missing from the knees down or you can kind of see through them or their clothing style gives them away. But for some of the recent ones, definitely I, I wouldn't I wouldn't know that they've already gone because they are so clear, some of the recent ones. And it, it's madness. But to me, it's like, oh, hey, how are you doing? And it's only halfway through the conversation, you realise, hang on a minute, I haven't seen them for months. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> now, you talk about this guy that had been around for 200 years. You clearly saw him. Why do you think there are some that you can see really clearly and the others are missing body parts or sections of their body <laughs> i i think a lot of the time it's the energy that's around them so if they're in a busy place like a big railway station there's an awful lot of energy around them from the machinery from the people passing through and all the rest of it and i think i think of them as kind of like batteries every time somebody notices them their battery gets a little charge mm -hmm. And I think that's why some of them are as clear as day and others are a little bit faint and fading out. Um, being cut off at the knees or being levitating and stuff, 
I always put down to being different floor levels from different time periods, and they're usually the ones that aren't interactive. Mm -hmm. They're usually the ones that I call recordings. So it's like I, I've been saying for years there's going to be a recording of somebody with wild hair and a top hat wandering up and down Elgin High Street in 200 years' time, and that's going to be me <laughs> still giving tours or trying to. <laughs> what do you think is the most haunted area? Of, of, of Elgin? Um, the most haunted building I've been to in town was actually a private residence. It was a block of flats that had been originally big, grand, uh, late 17s, early, early 1800s townhouse turned into flats, then had businesses all through it, then it's 50-50 flats and businesses, mm -hmm. sorry, apartments and businesses. And there was something going on in one of the flats. I went and I fixed the flat, and then I got a phone call from the business that was next door to it on the same floor. And I was basically chasing these things all the way through this building till I got to the top floor. In the top floor, there's an access panel that goes through what is now three entirely separate buildings, but was part of the same house. Mm. And once I got through, I went, got, I had a look, see what it was, how far it went, if it was a stable structure enough for me to get into. And then the following day, I went around all the businesses and all the apartments, all the people that would be involved. It's like, look, just to let you know, we've we've been having this problem next door. I've been working on it with them. We found this bit that comes into your building. Are you okay with me doing this? It's going to be such and such a time on such and such a day. And in that, it's like an access tunnel, but it's like four stories up, you know. Uh -huh. <laughs> In that access tunnel, I found the crux of the problem. There were children. It's a rather demented gentleman in the early 1800s considered himself Satan's right-hand man. Wow. And uh, in that, throughout those three buildings, I rescued 25 children that were in spirit that were too scared to leave because they were told he was going to get them and he was prancing around the place he's literally looks like the bad guy out with the first brendan fraser mummy movie with the black flowing robes and the bald head he's strolling about the place like he's god and that's when i lost my memory because according to the rest of the team i actually blacked out and I'm laid on the floor, totally spark out, and there's a bloke's voice coming out of me. And the bloke's voice says something. I say something as myself, but I'm still unconscious. Me and him are having a huge argument, effing and blinding at each other, while my body is unconscious, but my, my voice... I mean, my mother will tell you I can still speak when I'm unconscious. <laughs> And basically, a couple of days arguing with this dude, I finally managed to get a hold of an extra ingredient and how to make it, i.e. black salt. Mm -hmm. 
And adding that into the usual ritual, I chased the bad guy away. And as soon, while I had him occupied, I had another medium helping the kids to cross over to where they should be instead of being stuck in that building. But it was all hidden in that access tunnel up in the loft, you know, because it's like kept chasing them, kept chasing them, couldn't get it. But then when we find that access tunnel, I'm like, that's where they're all hiding because mm -hmm. it goes through three buildings and all he keeps doing is trying to get further and further away from me. Mm -hmm. But it's it was weird that was the first mass clearing i did and it's really weird because i'm sitting there thinking i'm making all this stuff up and then i see the video and mm -hmm. i see my face change and stuff like that and it's like okay yeah that's a bit weird <laughs> that he um he was just trying to act like satan's right here because i know there's some that just do that to, to, put, to keep that fear going. Yeah, I mean, he's like, um, what, 1820s, 1830s. So it's all the, you will listen to me and do what I want you to do. It's all <laughs> the, the creepy using this made-up stuff mm -hmm. to hold power over, well, women and children, basically. He was just a... He would be on the sex reg sex offenders register nowadays for sure, Definitely. but it it was it was horrible. But I mean, Touchwood, finest mahogany. There, the building is clear now. I do get the odd one or two saying here. There's still kids running around that place, and I'm like, yeah, but are they screaming or are they laughing? And they're like, they're laughing, and it sounds really sweet. And I'm like, well, that's what we want. We want them to be happy. They had a, nearly 200 years of being totally miserable in that building. They should be happy now if there's anybody that stayed behind. So, Absolutely. So what's next for you? Oh, uh, at the moment, I'm looking forward to the 1st of November when I get a lie-in. I can stay in my PJs all day. <laughs> for the rest of this month I have tours and readings and stuff coming out my ears um, today you're actually the third interview I've done today Wow! so it, it's like as soon as, soon as everything's done it, it's hot chocolate PJs and there's no alarm clock for tomorrow because it's my birthday there you go, there you go. <laughs> But yeah, um, the only thing that I've got in my head is a super long-term plan. Um, I'm like many others in our field. I'm one of the wounded warriors. I have several medical conditions that are going to deteriorate. So before I end up in a wheelchair, which is somewhere between 20 and 40 years ago away, we don't know how long it's going to take. It's one of these, I'll do it as long as my body lets me. We're going to continue with the tours. As it starts getting to look like my body might be stopping me from doing the tours, then I'm going to get it all written out and put out a couple of books so people can do their own guided tours with still having my stories. So, Because I know for, for me, it's taken me 20 years of research to get the historical stuff. Right. So, right, right, right. Well, that's terrific. I really hope you have a happy birthday tomorrow. Or, well, yeah, today, later on. Yeah. Okay. 
it gets confusing after a while doing these. It, it does, it does get confusing, but thank you anyway. But thank you, Jerry. <laughs> I want to thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. I'd love to have you back on sometime again to talk more. I, I just, I, you're just absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much. And that would be not a problem. Just give us a holler and tell me what topic we're looking at. All right. So how do people <laughs> find you? You can find me on Facebook. You can Google, well, Google or Facebook search White Witch Elgin, which is the psychic side. So that's www.facebook.com slash whitewitch.com psychic and for the ghost tours if you're coming across to elgin and you don't have to just be coming across i've actually done presentations over skype for a senior center in elgin illinois Thanks. last halloween <laughs> so on on the historical side it's same again facebook.com and then it's whitewitch.com tour guide so but other than that you can just google elgin ghost tours or white witch elgin and you'll find me so and um, feel free to ask questions when you do it's okay you can ask me i'm not gonna say it's a five or a question there you go. <laughs> fantastic well you have a great rest of the evening get some sleep sleep i in. will have a good birthday and Thank you very much. We'll be back in touch with you at some point. Brilliant. Thank you, Charlotte. Thanks, Pamela. Thanks, Meep. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your evening, seeing as your evening's just starting. And I will see you when I see you. All right. Thank Have you so fun. much. Have a good one. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, that was terrific. I learned a lot about, you know, about witches and stuff. I mean, that, that's what I came on for. I loved her on the last interview she was on, and uh, she did not disappoint. It was fantastic. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking UFOs and alien encounters, 6.30 p.m., the, our usual time, Pacific. Craig, uh, uh, TV producer Craig Campobasso, I hope I get the name right, Campobasso is going to be with us. He's got a couple books out on the subject, so he's going to be coming on to talk to us about that. So I want to thank everybody for coming in tonight. And uh, the chat room was, fair, was, fairly, was pretty active. I'm proud of all you guys. And for the people that came to watch from Scotland, all right. Good, 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 good show. Um, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. You know me, I'm equal opportunity. But we are looking at, you know, I am looking for followers. My hat's on crooked. It always is. Look, we are looking for followers. So if you're watching from Facebook, you like what you heard, Please do uh, hit that like and follow button. And also, I'm also on Instagram, and I'm ghosty gal, all lowercase, and I'm looking for uh, followers over there as well. And again, uh, YouTube, our YouTube channel is always open to new subscribers, so come on over. We've got 450 videos there, varying topics, and I think you'll find something that you like. Anyway, I want to say, again, thank you all. You see that ticker at the bottom? Uh, what that means is that uh, I don't take any money to ghost hunt or anything like that. So I got to make the bills just like everybody else. So if you could find it in your heart to help a little bit so I can pay for the internet bills and stuff here, that would be great. And you can do that at paypal.me at California Haunts. Or if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, you can do that at Venmo and just type in California Haunts. But anyway, I will see you tomorrow. And I'm going to go ahead and flash your information for you. If you want to check her out on Facebook, I will go ahead and put that through. And uh, then I'll, then I'll uh, close this thing down and I'll see you tomorrow. 
So here we go. Here it is. Websites, facebook.com forward slash white witch, W-H-Y-T-E, W-I-T-C-H dot psychic is one. And that way, that was quick, huh? That's what you get for 10 seconds. <laughs> and then facebook.com again, white witch dot tour guide. All right. So you can, you can check her out there. Hey, that's weird. See how long ago this time? Ah, computers. All right, guys. I'll see you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a good night. <laughs>